You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today and the great privilege to worship you, Lord, uh, with just the, the, the beauty of creation and just a wonderful beginning of a new year. Lord, we pray, Lord, in this time together, we just enjoy your word, uh, Lord, that we would learn, that we would take steps forward in faith and grow uh, as parents and as families uh, obedient to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, I heard a story the other day. I want to, it's more like a joke, but I want to share it with you. A man was walking along a a California beach and kind of stumbled across his old lamp And he picked it up and he rubbed it and out popped this genie. And the genie uh, said, okay, you release me from the lamp, blah, 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 blah. This is the fourth time this month that it's happened. To be honest with you, I'm getting a little sick and tired of these wishes that I need to grant. But for you, uh, go ahead, forget about three, but I'll give you one wish. So wish wisely. The man thought about it and said, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm honestly, I'm terrified to fly. And I get very, very seasick, so I can't take a boat. But could you build me a bridge so I could drive my Harley across on a couple-day journey to Hawaii and so I can drive over there and visit? And the genie kind of laughed out loud and said, that's impossible. Seriously, think about the concrete. Think about the steel. Think about the depth of the ocean. Like, there's no way those support columns are going to make it all the way down to the bottom of the ocean. No, 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 I'm sorry. You're going to have to come up with another wish. And the man said with disappointment on his face, okay, um, let me think about it. Let me think about a really good wish. And finally, he says, I got it. I've been married like 15 years. My wife says I always lack understanding. I'm insensitive and I'm not really caring enough. And I just don't understand her. So I wish that I could understand my wife. I want to know how she feels on the inside. I want to know what she's thinking when she gives me the silent treatment. I want to know... Why she's crying, and when I say, what's wrong, and then she tells me, nothing. I want to know what the nothing is. I want to understand her as a woman, a wife, and a mother. And the genie looked at him very quickly, said, did you want that bridge two lanes or four lanes? (laughs) Honestly, I felt a little bit out of my league this week when I was preparing for this message, truth for mom, because I'm not a mom. Good news is, though, is that God's word is timeless, And that the Apostle Paul writes, and he writes to the church in Crete. You can open up your Bibles, Titus chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you have a smartphone, open it up there. Or if you need a Bible, we've got ESV Bibles over there in the back. I want to give you one today. The Apostle Paul writes, though, and he's going to enlist the help of some other ladies in the church to help bring truth to mom. Before we get started, I thought it would be helpful for us, though, to understand kind of the big truth for the whole family. I've kind of laid this out in your program kind of as a devotional, maybe a Bible study for you to go do on your own, but the roles and the responsibilities according to Scripture. What does that look like? Fathers provide, instruct, and discipline. Last week I told you about that, and I taught through the Scriptures of how God's Word instructs us as dads that we got to be in the game. We have to instruct. That means like to coach. That means to train. That we need to discipline. You can't just, dads, I know you're master delegators. You can't just delegate those responsibilities to mama. That's too heavy of a burden for her. So you got to be in the game in the, in the discipline as well. 
Um, mothers, their scripture tells us to be working at home. That word working literally means busy. It means involved, engaged, being really in the game when it comes to raising children and accept this holy and high calling of motherhood. And then it says for children, you're gonna, you can read this on your own, but obey and honor your parents. And I love this part, care for them in their old age. So when I'm old and drooling, Sam and Riley come dab the drool, dab the drool. Okay, so this is what scripture tells us. So, you know, it's truth. It's biblical truth, foundational truth. Culture tells us that dads are doofuses, that they don't know what's going on. Culture tells us that mothers are totally replaceable. I mean, think about Miss Doubtfire, okay? Robin Williams. Think of, dads are replaceable. Think about my two dads. Think about, what is it? Two men and a baby or three men and a baby? I don't remember. But culture tells us that moms can be easily replaced. Culture tells us that when you say things like this, mom, hey, what do you do for work? And you say, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Somehow, you've relegated yourself to the leftovers of society and said, that's not an important job. It's really important. The Apostle Paul tells us like it's a high and holy calling. And so this morning, what I want to do is help you understand that Christian living is a witness to the world. Really, that's what it's about. It's a witness to the world and that we have to understand the importance that we have as parents. Let's look at Titus chapter 2. We'll go ahead and start in verse 1. This is actually the first few verses is for grandparents. I'm going to teach on that next week. The following week, I'm going to teach on single parenting, blended families. You guys were responded with a, a lot of people responded and said, hey, please teach on blended families and single parenting. I'll do that. Next week's grandparenting, the following weekend, uh, single parenting and blended families. Today, we're going to talk about the seven truths for mom. But let's start in verse 1, Titus chapter 2. He says, but as for you, he's talking to Titus. He says, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. I talked to you about doctrine last week, agreed upon truths. He says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. And then here's where we're going to stop, and we're going to see seven truths to help mom in a high and holy calling of motherhood. says, they are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husband, that the word of God may not be reviled. First thing that we're going to see is a very much easy implied response. First truth for mom is be mentored. Be mentored. Older women were investing into younger women. Some of you are saying older women. Like how old? Uh, Here's a better response. Every mama in the room, every lady in the room, somebody, listen to me, somebody's older than you and somebody's younger than you, okay? So the idea is that no matter how old you are, you always got somebody in your life that you're learning from. The Greek word there in for train is safranizo, and it means to advise and train. What you need is you need more than parenting tips. You need biblical advice and counsel. You need training. You need training, how to do life, how to do marriage, how to do relationships, how to work in the home, how to work outside of the home, learn the balance, 
find the rhythm, feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme. It's bobsled time. You remember that? I'm sorry. I don't have a sensor on my mind sometimes. Um, that was a good movie, though. John Candy. There you go. Okay, so be trained and to advise them, train. That's what it means. So how do you do this? Well, at least you go for a real live person, like asking somebody, say, hey, will you mentor me? I know that's a big deal. Here's what I would say for you ladies in the room that are constantly getting that request. Here's a great comeback to somebody who asks you that. Say, sure, I'll mentor you if you mentor somebody else. And they say, well, I'm not old. Oh, yes, you are. You're older than somebody. If you're a 20-something-year-old girl and you ask a 40-something-year-old lady or older to mentor you, the 20-something-year-old girl could mentor a young teenager. How powerful would that be? How powerful would that be if that was the model and the shape and the vision that we had for women in the church to go, I'm going to be mentored and I will mentor. I am the older woman. I am the person that can invest down, but I need to get somebody older than me to invest into my life. I've been mentored by, for years. I, things that help mentored me have been books, groups, one-on-one -on -one relationships with pastors and leaders, studies, you name it. Constantly learning, constantly trying to be retrained. The Bible says, the Apostle Paul says elsewhere that uh, do not be conformed the patterns of this world, but be what? Transformed. By how? By the renewing of the mind. And so to be mentored is to be trained, to get advice. One of the greatest ways you can do this, ladies, at our church right now is that we have an awesome women's Bible study. Great video teaching series that's going to be um, unfolded just this coming week. You've got information there uh, on our website and our chairs. And with us today is Beth Marker. She's serving as coordinating that whole deal. She's been, will you stand for us and thank her for all the hard work she's doing to help us get going? And then Beth has got a wonderful team that's helped her. And so that's been going on. We're offering two different times for that. An evening one for working moms. And then one during the day as well for the stay-at-home moms that are stay at, staying at home and have that more freedom. So I want to encourage you to be mentored. Very, very important. Secondly, the Apostle Paul challenges Titus to enlist the help of older women to teach about being loving. Being loving um, is crucial. It says, Young moms need to love first their husbands and then their kids. That's good. Ladies, you need to know this, that the priority of love first applies to the husband and then to the child. You can get yourself into a lot of tension in your relationship when a child separates the home. I told you last week, in the North Phoenix Valley, there's this idolatrous relationship going on in many families and many homes, is that the child becomes like the God. And the child is at the center of the home in everything they do. Guess what? You don't need a child-centered home. You need a Christ-centered home. And the order of relationship needs to be for the mother is first their love and allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, then to that husband, and then to that child. So the Apostle Paul didn't slip up and just throw that in there. Oh, love your husbands and then your child. No, that was absolutely intentional. Verse 4, and train the young women to love their husbands and children. And I know what some of you ladies are saying to me. You don't know my husband. He's, he's not very lovable. Or you sure don't know my kids. Those kids, they test me big time. 
Okay, so here's what I thought I would do. I thought, well, let me just take a little rabbit trail and preach to the dads and the kids in the room how to be lovable. How to be lovable. Because moms have got the charge, be loving to your husbands. Moms have got the charge, love your children. And by the way, that's a pretty big deal. Jesus said it like this. If you're a Christian, this is the mark of maturity in your life that you love people. Jesus said it like this. Love is the thing that connects the first commandment, the greatest, and the second, the greatest. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The golden thread in between the two is love. The Apostle Paul said love is patient. It's the top of the virtues. It's kind of an important deal. Dads and kids, how to be lovable. Number one, this is not on your notes, but tell, tell her you love her every day. I love you. I love you. Words help and heal. Dads, kids, you can say the same thing. Have real conversations. Not just get your orders every day or try to manage the schedule working side by side, but get face to face and have real conversation. Thirdly, have quality time together. Not just time, but quality time. Kids, you can do that. Get quality time with mom. Fourthly, listen well. Listen. Be lovable by listening. James says, be slow to speak, quick to listen. Be affectionate and kind. Number six, help with the household cleaning. Some of you guys are saying, I hope you drop dead right now. Help with the household cleaning? Yes, help with the household cleaning. Okay, hire somebody if you can afford to do that. But get involved and help kids and dads. Number seven, give her a day off. Moms have got a heavy responsibility, a high and holy calling. No simple thing. You get resistance from the world, moms. Oh, you're just a stay-at-home mom. Oh, you just do this. Like, that's it? You can help, help, help that, uh, dads and kids, by saying, hey, mom, why don't you take the day off? You know, I mean, you know, like yesterday, Leslie went off to Flagstaff, had an awesome day. And sometimes, I wouldn't suggest this as parenting tips, but this is what we do every once in a while. We have at my household, when we just want to veg, we call it the electronathon. So electronathon is just like, hey, let's just go for it. Let's watch movies, let's play the iPad, let's play games, and at the end of the day, you know it's bad. I'm just going to give an honest moment here. When my 13-year-old boy goes, he looks at me with like a zombie face and goes, Dad, sometimes electronics is desensitizing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're out, you've got your quota for the week, man, we're good. Uh, but, but be loving, be engaged, um, Top of the Christian virtue list is love. It's a distinguishing mark for all believers, according to John chapter 13, verse 35. Um, your, your, your mom, your wife needs a day off. Give her a day off. Let her go. Say, bless you. Here's money. Here's time. Go have fun. Go do whatever you want to do. Me and the kids will be okay. That's the kind of vision men, single men that are in the room that are thinking about being married, that will pay dividends in your relationship. Number three, truth for mom, be self-controlled. The Apostle Paul says this is important for Titus to get the help of older women to train the younger women to be self-controlled. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. The Greek word is sophron, and it means to be rational, reasonable, it means to be restricting, to restrict yourself. 
Apart from the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word in my life, I'm totally out of control. I don't trust myself unless I have the authority of scripture in my life. Moms, you can go way out of control, way too fast without the spirit of God's help. So I'm going to give you some easy ways to keep from losing it, going out of control. Here are some three little easy tips for you. Number one, know your triggers. This is not in your notes, but I just was thinking about it. Uh, how to stay in from losing control. Know your triggers. Know what makes you mad. Know what gets you angry. Know your weaknesses. Know your sinful propensities. Know the things that can really wreck you. Know your triggers. Secondly, practice self-care. I mean, the second commandment that Jesus gave was love your neighbor as your what? Self. So self does need to be loved. Self is not God. Jesus is God. And so self does need to be loved. Why? Because we're made in the image and in the, the likeness of our Lord so that we're to reflect him. But we need to be good. It's kind of like when you're, you hear it when you're flying in the planes and they say, in a case of emergency, the oxygen mask will fall from the, from the ceiling and you make sure you first secure your own face, then to your, your buddy next to you. And they don't say buddy, you know, unless you're flying southwest and then they say all sorts of stuff. And so then I'm thinking like, do you do that? Well, there's a principle there. There's an importance there. You can't help others if you yourself are not stable. Self-control is something that we need to practice. So practice self-care. And the third one is, and the most important one is spend time with Jesus. You will have self-control to the extent that you submit yourself to the sovereign spirit of God in your life. And you say, your rule, your reign, you change me. You make me new. You, re you re renew me. You restore me. It's a fruit of the spirit according to Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. Self-control about what? Self-control about what you say. Restraint on the words. Self-control on what you think and what you watch self-control on what you read, self-control on what you spend your money on, self-control, that's restraint. I mean, like, junior high kids have a hard time with self-control. I was junior high, I get it, like, their bodies are growing, and they're just moving and grooving, and all of a sudden, and they hit their sister, you're like, why'd you hit your sister in your head? I don't know, my arm's just getting long. And then they're running, and they're running, and all of a sudden, boom, they, like, trip, and you're like, what, what happened? I saw you just running, you tripped. Now, I don't know but my shoe size went up two sizes this summer. Self-control is something that we're to grow into. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Ladies, mothers specifically, self-control is an incredible thing that is challenged by us, and you can't do it alone. You need the Spirit of God to help you. What you watch, what you read. The Apostle Paul lists that. As well as not only to be self-controlled, but to be pure. The Greek word there is hognos. I didn't say hognos. I said hognos. I read that and I was like, hognos? Not hognos, hognos. The Greek word is, means pure, it means clean. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul uses the same word and he says, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think about those things. And in 1 Peter 3, the, uh, the, the Apostle Peter talks about this purity is what can win over unbelieving spouses to the, to the Lord. And this purity of mind, purity of thought, purity of speech. And what we fill our minds with can um, cr 
create impurity of our thoughts and our actions and our deeds. So the Apostle Paul not only says be pure, but he encourages and challenges ladies to be working at home. The, the word there means literally to be busy at home. So my encouragement to you, moms, that you're thinking, well, I work outside of the home. Um, I, I make more money than my husband does. You know, I, I don't know. Working at home, what do you mean? Well, at least the Greek word means to be busy at home. It means to be engaged, to be involved, to be significantly helping in the raising of your children. Makes sense. Your kids only have one you. I want to share with you a story about a, a young lady in our church who had to make some hard decisions. Lindsay is her name. She's got a degree in management from Purdue University, worked up to, for top Fortune 500 companies at Dell, Chrysler, Raytheon, American Express, held positions in management working with Michael Dell, um, various uh, company presidents and VPs. Ryan, her husband, really cool guy, they came into our church when they first had one kiddo, kind of made that big decision, hey, we need to get involved in church. Like, we need to be raising our kids to, with Christian values. Ryan's got a degree in pharmacy from Midwestern University. He's a pharmacy manager at one of the highest volume stores. And when they started having more kids, they made it some significant career changes. Lindsay writes this, I left my corporate job to stay at home and raise our children. That was a significant loss of income. She continues to say, and Ryan left his retail schedule for a Monday through Friday stable schedule. That was another significant decrease in income. And then here's what she writes about the truth about being a mom. She says, being a stay-at-home mom is the toughest job I've ever had. Here, and here's a new set of challenges, schedules, personalities, routines to manage. It's frustrating to not contribute financially to my family when I work so hard all day long. I have to remind myself of the many, many benefits that we're providing by me staying at home. So what are some of those benefits? This is what she writes. She says, I love being a stay-at-home mom for a number of reasons. Here's a few. The first is the first. I get to be the first to see my kids smile. I get to see the first to see my kid roll over. I get to be the first to see them take their first little step. I get to be the first to hear their first word, which by the way, when we were raising our kids, the first word for some of my kids was daddy. Uh, first day at school, all that. So focus on the kids is the second one she lists. She says, my days are focused on making my kids feel love, valued, teaching them discipline and teamwork. She continues on and she says, I'm I want to be there for them. I, I get to be their coach, their mentor, their teacher, their healer, their friend, their playmate, their chief taxi cab driver. And I love it. Family schedule. She says, I may not manage people, projects, and portfolios at work any longer, but I am responsible for managing my home and my family schedule, and it's the biggest and the most important job to me. She goes on to say, raising our kids with values, it's my job to ensure our children grow to be loving, responsible, honest, and caring individuals. It's a big job, and it's exciting to know that I'm the one responsible with my husband for making sure they love others, they love Jesus, they have manners, and accept others even though there's differences. You know, I, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, well, I don't know. Why are there exceptions? Can we, I mean, how do we look at this? Um, let me give you two anonymous, fictitious um, questions uh, from two different fictitious people. One I'll call stay-at-home Stephen, a guy who stays at home, and the other one I'll call stay-at-home Sarah. Stay-at-home Stephen writes and says, hey, Pastor Ryan, what if my wife 
makes more money than I do, should I work? She makes enough money so I don't have to work. Should I work? Here's my response. Yes, work. God created men to work. According to Genesis, in the very beginning, God created man and he put him in the garden to work. Men should work. That they, that men should work really hard. Uh, so, yes, you should work. Um, the Apostle Paul told men that not only work, but provide for the family, but also to instruct, train the kids as well. So dad doesn't just need to work the idea of go bring home the bacon and then bring home the money, but he needs to be engaged, instructing, teaching, and giving discipline as well. So lighten the load for mom. She doesn't have to carry all the financial burden. She doesn't have to carry all the teaching, all the training, all the discipline. That's too big. Like, that's way too big. Moms are not, I, I, I know you want to believe this, but it's not, it's a false notion, is you're not a superhero. You're H-U-M-A-N-A-N, you're a human. You're not superhuman. And so dads have got to carry the load. Stay at home, Steve, and I say, yes, you've got to work as much as you can. Well, then the follow-up question from stay at home, Stephen, is well, what if I can't work? Like, what if I have a physically unable or I'm, I'm not able to do that emotionally for whatever reason? What if there's a legal issue or you're unemployed and you can't find a job? Well, then my response is, well, then you can't work, but don't be lazy and do everything you can to contribute to the household, fulfilling the biblical pattern of Scripture and in investing in the home, providing for the family. That's just biblical. Some of you guys today might be like, man, I hope your teeth fall out, Pastor Ryan. That's fine. I hope my teeth fall out too. If, we're gonna, if that means I'm preaching God's word and God's truth. Here's a third question. Should I work a lot? My answer would be is yes, work as hard as you can, Stay at home, Stephen. Make as much money as you can without sacrificing your faith or your family so that you can give, you can uh, save, and that you can spend the rest on your family and enjoy everything God's created. So stay at home, Stephen. That's stay at home, Stephen. What about stay at home, Sarah? She asked the question, how do I motivate my lazy husband to get a job? Okay, she's upset, so... I'm going to address this. You know, Sarah, thank you for writing. Talk to him when you're not in a fight or angry. How many of you have tried to pick up an issue, you're in a fight, and you're like, hey, by the way, we just need to talk about this. And it's like, shh, it's like one bomb after another. It's World War III. It's not going to happen. Don't have that conversation, Sarah, when you're in a fight. Secondly, I would say to Sarah is, hey, get him around other godly guys that have a biblical vision for what it looks like to be a dad. Godly men grow up other godly men. Bible says iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Do you get it? It just happens that way. And then, Sarah, you also might just want to show him pictures of hard workers. This is what it looks like. I was joking. I was joking. Show him pictures of hard workers. Oh, man, that'd be funny. Okay, secondly, is, uh, Sarah asked the question, how can I stay at home if I can't afford it? Uh, how can I stay at home if I or we can't afford it? My encouragement to Sarah would be is consider downsizing. You know, you don't have to have a bigger car, a bigger house, more stuff. Maybe just downsize. It, it could be a radical reshifting. 
Christian living is different than cultural living. It's, we're different. That's what we are. We're just different kind of people. We don't hold grudges. We forgive. We don't get greedy. We be generous. Like, they're just contrary. So maybe consider downsizing. Try working from home. Maybe find flexible hours with employers. Maybe work around your kids. Maybe at a daycare or school, etc. Maybe help your hubby find a way to earn more by a career change, education change, extra side jobs, potentially work for Lyft, Uber, Pizza Hut, papers. I don't know, whatever it takes. There's been so many times in my life where, um, where we were coming along as a young family and we just had to take up extra jobs. That's okay. Maybe it looks like stay-at-home Sarah, maybe she's holding her job down her career and it's for a season. And she says, for now, this is all we can do because of our circumstances, our situations. So we're going we're gonna to uh, have to make this work as a family. And together as a husband and a wife, you prayerfully seek the Lord and say, Lord, what is your will on this matter? So I want to encourage you to think like that. I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to be considering uh, moms, be very busy at home. If you're busy at home and you're uber busy at work, then to me, that is two busies. Get it? Busy at home, busy at work. It could be way too busy. Now, some of you are high capacity moms. I get it. But be careful. And you know what I believe, and I'll address this with single parenting, is God gives extra measures of grace to the single mom or in any situation you find yourself in. Maybe you've got a husband who's unemployed or maybe you've got a husband who's um, physically unable for some reason. God in his extraordinary grace can pour out a higher capacity, send more people, create more flexible employers to create the environment that's going to work the best. But the pattern of Scripture tells us that we have a high and holy calling for moms to fulfill by being busy at home. In, in interesting enough, culturally speaking, for the first century, the Greek world actually expected moms to be engaged in the household. So it was, from a Christian perspective, if you have Christians in the first century wanting to be killing it in the area of politics, economics, in the career world, or whatever, you know what's going on is they're sending an incredibly uh, counter cultural message, even for the unbelievers. The unbelievers had this heavy expectation that moms would be invested into the homes and the families. And the Apostle Paul affirms even that idea is, yeah, be busy at home. Today, in today's culture, it's not cool if you're a stay-at-home mom. You, you say things sheepishly like, yeah, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I want to reverse that thinking and help you to understand it's a high and holy calling. Seven truths to help mom in a high and holy calling of motherhood is six, is be kind. Be kind. The Greek word is agathos, and it means good. Again, this was affirmed even in the Greco-Roman culture, non-Christian culture, goodness, to be kind. Um, according, from a biblical perspective, this idea of kindness it's listed in the virtues. So the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians 4.32, and he says, basically, and be forgiving and in kindness. You can't be a forgiving person if you're not a kind person. Kindness opens the door for forgiveness. 
being kind. You've got to be kind in your household in order to reconcile little rebellious kids that go for it and they fight. When you're unkind, it creates a culture in your home of unkindness. Additionally, Galatians 5.22 says it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's what comes, what's being produced in you and through you as you surrender your life to Jesus at greater levels day by day. Lord, today I need your kindness to overwhelm me, to love my kids, to love my husband. I want to be kind towards them. I want my words, I want my actions to reflect the kindness of God that I experience through you. Being kind. Number seven, challenging one, be submissive. This is where I, I thought you might say, I, I hope your teeth fall out, Ryan. But I think this is important to understand. The Greek word is hypotasso, and it means to be subject or subordinate. It's the same Greek word that uh, the gospel writer Luke refers to with Jesus when he was a child in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus has to submit to his parents, uh, his adoptive dad, Joseph, and Mary. It's the same word that the Apostle Paul used to instruct Titus to give instructions to the citizens of Crete and says, submit to your ruling authorities. It's the same word that's used later in Titus chapter 2 when he talks about employees submitting to their employer. You've got to have order. So being submissive is something, what does that mean? Let me help break that down. That means to defer. It means to regard. It means to respect the direction of the husband as long as it doesn't violate God's word. So it would look like this for Leslie to say, hey, I really, the kids are struggling with this situation. This is just hypothetical. The kids are struggling with this uh, situation. I don't know exactly what to do. Here's my ideas. This is what I think we should do. What do you think? And nine out of ten times, I'm like, yeah, you're sharp. You're smart. That's exactly what we need to do. Um, hey, when it came to moving to Phoenix, Arizona, Leslie looked to me and she says, I'm following you as you trust and serve the Lord. We'd never been to Phoenix. We moved here because she submitted, she deferred, she looked towards me for direction. I'm trusting you that you are following the Lord's lead and I want to support the vision that God's given you to help encourage and build you up. And it doesn't mean that I just run the household, run the family like some tyrant leader. You can't understand biblical submission until you get to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's read that. I've got it on the screen for you. It says, the Apostle Paul writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So everybody needs to submit to the Lord. This church submits to the Lord. This is not Pastor Ryan's church. This is Jesus' church. Everybody submits to the Lord. So if wives have a hard time submitting to their husbands, maybe they have a bigger problem submitting to the Lord. He's the king. We're his servants. That's, that's what we are. Our identity is a servant to a high and mighty king. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the boss. His body and he and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
Look what it says there in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. So there's this calling that wives are to submit to their husband. I remember when I was a new Christian and then fell in love with Leslie, trying to figure out what it looked like to be the head of the household. It was a bit comical because, you know, when you're young and you're maybe immature in your faith, um, there's a lot of insecurity. And there's a lot of insecurity for any guy marrying a girl that's a, a godly girl, a strong girl, you know, like, or just any girl with high capacity. Like, ladies, you can be intimidating. The guys won't tell you that. But so I'm in this marriage relationship, new to my marriage, and I read Ephesians, and I'm the head of the household. I'm like, what does that mean? So one night we're having dinner, so we sit down, and I say to my sweetie, I, we didn't have kids at the time, I said, hey, baby, I said, tonight we're eating. I really appreciate all the you know, care you put into the household. Would you, do you mind sitting over there for me? And she's like, sure, sure, I'll move, okay. So she sits here, and I say, great, thanks. And she says, why'd you ask me to move? And I said, well, because this is the head of the table. And she goes, Ryan, it's a round table. And I'm like, it's kind of the head of the roundness. When you're young, you don't quite get it. If you're immature, you can act like an idiot when it comes to being the head of the household. That's a dumb idea. Can you sit at the head of the table or whatever? I don't care where you sit. The Bible doesn't tell us where to sit at a table. But the, what the Bible does instruct us is that we are to be husbands, we're to be loving our wives as Christ loved the church, who sacrificed his life for the church, cherished the church. So for a wife to submit to her husband, defer, respect, regard, is easy to do. So what does this not mean to biblical submission? What it doesn't mean is that a wife should suffer under the tyranny of a harsh husband who's acting or living outside of the will of God or using his spiritual authority to dominate the relationship. You cannot do this. You can't use spiritual language like, I'm the head of the household. If you have to play that card, you got a problem. If you have to say, submit, woman, like, terrible. Who, who told you you could say that kind of stuff? What you should do is be anchored in God's Word together, getting to church, opening your Bibles, opening your heart to God's Word and say, this is the authority. I submit to the Lord. You join me in the submission to the Lord. He's our leader. He's called me to be a sacrificial servant, husband. Will you, will you by God's grace, defer to me, respect me, encourage me to help lead our household? That's a strong radical vision. Ladies, you don't ever have to suffer under tyranny or harsh abuse or anything like that. I, in the Michigan courtroom this last week, Dr. Larry Nassar, USA gymnast specialist, was sentenced to 40 to 175 years. He abused 156 women over a period of two decades. Uses a position to leverage a tyrant kind of behavior. Ladies, you are made in God's image. You are absolute equal to every man. You don't even need to submit to any other man. What you need to submit to is your husband. 
It's the only person. And you only do that when the husband's living according to God's word underneath that leadership. You never submit in an area that he's calling you to do that absolutely violates God's word, God's goodness, God's decree, God's way of living. And your voice matters tremendously. Biblical submission is not easy, but it's incredibly important for the family to function correctly. The goal of applying these truths this morning is this. The Apostle Paul tells us, so that the Word of God may not be reviled. Look there in your Bibles in verse 5. He gives us the reason. Why do all this? So that the Word of God may not be reviled. According to verse 5, revile means to harm, to injure, or defame. Violating the norms of Christian living would, would be, in the first century, subversive and socially rebellious. In today's culture, you're cool. Go ahead and violate it. Do whatever you want to do. The culture will love you. Don't be a stay-at-home mom. Um, don't, don't even worry about raising your children. Just let somebody else do it. That's socially acceptable. But the Apostle Paul says to live contrary, you're bringing harm and defamation to the household of faith. Here's what you need to see is God's glory wants to shine through the love of a mother and a family into the community is a testimony of others. So much depends on a woman to fulfill her high and holy calling. The world will, to, in my opinion, to a great extent, judge the character of the church and the Christian faith according to how a mother allows the truth of God's word to influence and shape her life. One of the greatest ways that you can do this is accept this call of motherhood as a high and holy calling that requires tremendous sacrifice and great reward. I want to uh, share with you a picture, a story of a, a family in our church, a, a mom who was an incredible witness. Brett and Vivian Bush are a part of our church, and they opened up their lives to a young mom by the name of Priscilla. Priscilla came from out of the country, and she came to Phoenix and was looking for a place for her family to belong. And, and the love of the mother, uh, Brett and Vivian, uh, opened up their household. And um, there on the far uh, side there is uh, Priscilla, and there's her little kiddo. Um, he doesn't look too happy in that picture. But he was happy. He just didn't like the picture taken. And um, it was really cool. This mother had a ministry, and she opened up her home, opened up her heart. And it was one ministry to another of a mom. And Priscilla was baptized that day because Vivian had shared Jesus with her and baptized her together. And God's at work in the lives of mothers. And there's a powerful ministry. The way you live, mom, is a big deal. The Apostle Paul says, don't let the world, don't defame the faith. The, our, our, Priscilla was attracted to Vivian based on the way she was living. And she had a great privilege to help disciple her and help her uh, follow and love Jesus. The call of motherhood is a high and holy calling that requires tremendous sacrifice and a great reward. The call of motherhood is a high and holy calling. Requires tremendous sacrifice and great reward. I, I can't get over the words I heard from Lindsay earlier. And she says, I was a corporate leader. And we gave up income. And we gave up income. But now I don't manage projects, portfolios, and people. But what I do is significant. It's the best of work for me. I want to read to you this little story uh, of Maya that she had shared with me. Uh, I had a conversation with her few years ago, and I jotted it down. 
was sitting with Maya one day on the back porch, and I said to her, we were talking about her adoption. We adopted Maya, cute little kiddo, and I said, Maya, did you know that I was chosen by God to be your dad, and mom was chosen to be your mama? And we were eating ice cream together, and Maya looked at me, and I think she'd been thinking about this a lot, she was asking questions. And she looked at me with her eyes tearing up, and she was really confused. She had just seen her siblings, and biological siblings, and she was confused. And she looked, uh, Maya looked at me with a sad and confused look in her eyes and asked with a quiver in her voice, she says, why couldn't I grow in mommy's tummy like Sam and Riley? And while I told her, choking back in my own tears, I said, well, Maya, um, your mom and I, we learned about the need to help kids in Phoenix just like you. And we felt like God wanted us to take a step of faith. So your mommy and I decided to adopt a little baby, and that baby was you. I held my breath, and I started to fight back tears that started to build up that lump in your throat. And I waited for a moment for a difficult question, and she says to me, Daddy, can I have another scoop of ice cream? That's it. Parenting is a big deal. My encouragement to you is just to take your next step. Mom, whatever that looks like for you, here's the take-home truth. Let's just take that next step. Whatever that next step would be to get more in line with God's design, that's what God wants for you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege and the joy of teaching your word. Thank you for children. Thank you for parenting. Lord, thank you for the fathers of the faith. Lord, thank you for the mothers, Lord. Thank you for the singles. Thank you for everybody here. Might you bring blessing. Might you bring just a greater sense of your presence and joy as we continue to worship together as a family here in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.